Evan. Hey, Joe. Hey, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Runtime Run Rundown. Let's go! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Runtime Rundown, the show where we read the web dev news so that you don't have to. Uh, I am looking at Mr. Evan Cooper. How are you doing this week, Evan? I'm good. I am looking at, just so you know, Joe Boyle, who nailed the intro for the first time and that is now 43 episodes. I think more Crushed than that. It. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Moving along. Um, Moving along. Yeah, I am good. So if you don't know, Tears of the Kingdom came out. Um, we've talked about it a couple of times. We've That's said right. T-minus something days. Uh, it is. Yeah, it lives up to the hype. It's awesome. So we've been doing that. We nice. w- went outside yesterday for an obligatory friend requirement time where we did a thing. <laughs> we like went to a place and ate some food and they were like, okay, we're done. Right. <laughs> and then we came up. <laughs> Spent the whole time we were being like, I wish we weren't with these friends. I wish I was back with. Like, uh, I can't with- fuse this plate with this fork. What the <laughs> f- am I doing? Oh, whoops. I swore already. Yeah. Um, anyway. So yeah. And then we played, I think Zelda till one in the morning. So <laughs> <laughs> my wife's currently playing it right now. Nice. We have two separate saves because my wife really does not like the way I play the game. Oh, interesting. Because uh, I'll leave. I mean, I just blow through stuff. Like I don't search every corner. Uh, and I also leave detritus everywhere. So like part of the game is you can build things mm-hmm. and I'll just build elaborate crafts and they, and they just like, I'll just leave them. And then I'll go. <laughs> so, <laughs> <I> think, <laughs> so I had to make my own game. So that I don't do that uh, in my wife's world, which is really funny. Uh, That's great. She's a much, she's like a very good gamer. Yeah. She's like, goes and picks everything up and, you know, does everything. But anyways, uh, how are you, Joe? I'm good. Uh, I have also been playing a bit of Tears of the Kingdom, but probably not as much as I expected to because last week or two weeks ago before it came out, I think we were just like waiting for it. You know, every day Rowan was asking about it and and, and so excited about it. And we get it and we start playing it and he's kind of like, He's like, I'd rather play Breath of the Wild. He's like, he's into it. He likes the Sky Islands. But, you know, it took me a while to kind of realize what was going on. And I think, uh, you know, there's there's something with child psychology where children of a certain age, they really like to be able to predict what's going to happen next. Like they that's why um, I remember reading this about Blue's Clues, that that kids show Blue's Clues. They would show the same episode every day uh, throughout the week. And kids loved it because it was like they knew it was going to happen next. They could anticipate it. And I think he wants to play the game that he is really familiar with. You know, uh, it's like he wants to spend time in Sky Islands because like that's where we that's where we've like started the game. But like I want to go down and explore this new Hyrule. And like he's just uh, he's not very into that. So um, uh, it's all right, though. I've been, been playing a lot yeah. while, while he's been asleep. It's been fun. Interesting. Um, also, the mechanics of Tears of the Kingdom are less fun to watch. Mm I, I think or can be because mm-hmm. the building of things is a is sort of tedious to watch, but really fun to do. Like for me, it's it's like really exciting for my brains. You have an endless sandbox of stuff to build. Yeah, but I think to watch that is maybe less fun. So I could I could imagine like being an observer because I think you know you play row and watch this type of deal that that might yeah. be less fun for a kid. Yeah, I can- um, yeah. Well, we did our we did our. Zelda talk. We That's should it. just get right into it. I, I think, think you have a question for me. Oh, yeah, I do actually. What are you reading? Uh, 
smooth as butter every time. Uh, so we we are reading the article, The JavaScript Ecosystem is Delightfully Weird on the Fly.io blog. And this is sort of a spiritual uh, successor, or not successor, follow-on chapter two to last week's episode about, like, did the web go too far? Because last week we talked about... Um, you know, really rough take on that. We just said, we write too much JavaScript. It's gone too far. We've, because of the JavaScript, we, we did a bunch of other stuff that is now you have to like test your JavaScript, do all these things because we've been continually building on it. We don't need any of it uh, for the most part. So we got really like deep into the dark take of the web has gone too far. This is sort of looking at that with a, a bit of a happier hat on and say like, you know, what's happening? So the JavaScript ecosystem is delightfully weird. Starts with a historical background, which has some parallels to what we talked about last week, which is sort of talking about like 10 years ago, JavaScript sucked. Uh, and then, you know, we got, we got some new things to it uh, and then it started to get out of control. So we can go through each of these sections probably, but it starts with that. So like, what was the history of how JavaScript over the last 10 years, I'd say more like 15 really, um, has evolved into what we see today. And then the next section I love is nobody writes JavaScript anymore. And it's it's talking about how for your average, you know, particularly front-end developer, I guess I'd, I'd say, um, working in modern, quote-unquote, modern tech is like you're not even writing JavaScript anymore. You're writing some Frankenstein of other stuff that gets compiled into something that a browser can actually use and sort of how that has happened. And then the next se- section title is, just it's just use server um, like literally if you you know if you ever like use Next.js or something like that uh, you know, the new Next 13 is like use server use client and it's it's talking about that in an interesting take of like how that relates to things that we now some people laugh at like Ruby on Rails uh, is is the example is like how we're actually a lot closer to that than we all think but we think we're cooler than that but. It's kind of the same deal. <laughs> and there's like some really funny icons about um, like they put Next.js inside what looks like the PHP logo and Next.js yeah. and what looks like the Ruby on Rails logo. And then the final the final section is called Another Dimension. Um, and that's sort of just talking about Dan Abramov's talk about React from Another Dimension and how like he was able to run React in Windows 95. Um and then like miss some of the pieces and we, we could talk about all these sections, but that's yeah. it. It's just like sort of history to today, looking at the evolution of JavaScript and instead of being, you know, wearing your Mr. Potato head frown face, <laughs> wearing your Mr. Potato head smile face. And how does that change the take? Yep. That's a good, good TLDR. I like how this article is almost the polar opposite of last week's article because it's like not only is it good that we're writing javascript it's good that we're like uh not we're that we're not writing only the javascript that's supported by uh by like the ecmascript community um committee like we are adding this whole build process to it which a lot of people uh have different takes on the build process and if it's really necessary but you know kind of the main thing that it allows us to do is to write whatever JavaScript we want, or not even JavaScript. You know, uh, he so we'll we'll uh, take taking a step back through time. He talks about how bundling JavaScript to run in the browser was the first sign of weirdness. So basically, like you are, I remember the day, like you know, a number of years ago, using like uh, Browserify 
just just various various like bundler, you know, gulp and grunt and all these things that were uh, taking the JavaScript that you write and and making it so that the uh, so that the browser can understand it because the JavaScript that you're writing isn't always something that the browser can understand. And this allows for a number of different things. It allows you to use features that are only being talked about by ECMAScript. Like they aren't even necessarily features that are built into JavaScript. Um, he talks a little bit about, about CoffeeScript. So CoffeeScript is a JavaScript like dialect, I guess you would call it, where it looks more like Python. It's based on white space. And um, people are using CoffeeScript for a long time. And it was possible because of these JavaScript bundlers. You could take something that was like JavaScript adjacent and use a bundler or build process to like pipe it into JavaScript that the uh, that the browser could understand. And he makes a point to say like this is a little different from languages that compile to the same bytecode. So he talks about Elixir and Kotlin that are like you know uh, they're 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 compiling down into code that that uh, the machine that the computer can understand. What JavaScript, uh, you know, transpilers do is they're not actually compilers; they're transpilers because they're going from one version of JavaScript into a more commonly understood version. Yeah, they actually. So that was um, that was talking about when um, ES6 came along or ECMAScript six came along in 2015, and then really I kind of like caught on more in like 2016, 2017. I guess I'm not sure it was like an immediate everybody used it. Um, they talk about that as another watershed moment where. ES6 comes along, you get a bunch of cool stuff in ES6. Uh, you know, you get like arrow functions, you get spread operators, rest operators, array methods. I mean, stuff that people take for granted, you know, map, mm -hmm. filter, reduce, stuff that you used to have to write for loops for that made it really feel like a different, a different language. It's like ES6 was a seminal moment. Everything felt really cool. The way that's possible though, was with a transpiler like you're talking about. And ES6 was when transpilers really took off, like Babel. Babel? Babel? I've never I known. Say, I always say Babel. Okay, cool. Babel. Uh, <clears throat> so Babel, what that does is, yeah, it takes the code that you're writing and you take a, you know, a target. Like, I want this to be able to run in a browser from 1992. And it'll say, what did JavaScript look like in 1992? And then how do I make this JavaScript work there? And it, it does all that for you. So there, I remember there's like a Babel REPL and you can kind of put your code in there, pick a target and say, what is the output? And for a while there, it was really funny because you'd write, you know, one single array method in like a REST operator in like 400 lines of JavaScript. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, or like default parameters in a, um, in a function. You know, if you have like a default argument, mm, yep. it's just like 50 lines of code to make that yeah. possible. Async await so, is adds a don't wild even start. Amount of, yeah, yeah, it's, it's so much code. You know, God forbid you have to get into a generator, but yep. it's like that made that possible. Yeah. So when now you're talking about transpiled JavaScript is like what you're writing has almost nothing to do with the source code that's going to be run on someone's machine when they when they visit your website or you know application or something like that. Um, and that sort of like kicks off what is that split? Because, uh, you know, for a while, it's like you're writing the JavaScript that you're going to see. And maybe you write CoffeeScript, but that's like a different language. Now you're writing your language, but it's not the language. It's not the code that people are going to touch. And that creates, I think, a first abstraction, like a separation from reality for JavaScript developers, where that just kind of 
um, that was just okay. There was no one cried about that. It was like, wow, this is awesome. I can write my future JavaScript mm-hmm. for you nerds and using IE seven, and I don't have to think about it. And somehow that just got taken straight up, and people didn't care. I'm sure people yelled about it, but that to me is like a big shift because you're you're now you're now have you have a distance between what you're writing and what people are seeing. Yeah, and yeah, and that allowed us to go a lot faster. Like we just everybody just got to write in a world that doesn't exist. And you don't have to think about it as the as the the user of that technology. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what the the it, it was less so that people because I'm sure people screamed about it. I'm sure people were really uh, up in arms about it at the time. But I think what the over the over the couple of years that that was there was that transition period. What ended up coming out was that the tra- was that the trade off was worth it. Like it's like yes, it's different, and yes, you can't inspect your dev tool, you know, the JavaScript in your dev tools, and it's it's going to look different. Not that you can't inspect it, but when you inspect it, it's going to look different from the JavaScript that you wrote. And people said, yeah, but it's totally worth it. It's like we we want all of these, we want to be able to use all these new features. That's going to make writing the code a lot easier. Um, I, it's a little bit of a, like a digression. It's something he doesn't talk about in this article, but uh, the I'm thinking about when i had a couple of thoughts while while you're talking one of of those thoughts is um when es6 came out i think and i'll be honest this is like showing my um showing my javascript age but that was like around the time when i got into javascript it's like i haven't been doing it for like years and years and years uh and so i I didn't see a lot i didn't write a lot of pre-es6 javascript but when i got into it it was at a time when i think people were like um Real, it was it was when there was uh, JavaScript being a more functional friendly language was like a thing that was starting to become a thing. And uh, I'm thinking about um, there were a couple of books that were written. Um, I can't think of the names right now, but but it's interesting to think of a time when, you know, I don't know that that was so much of a thing before ESX because ESX giving you arrow functions that allows for things like currying. And uh, I, I think that JavaScript being a uh, uh, but before that, my sense is that it was much more object oriented, but like in a, uh, prototypal inheritance, like you didn't have these like classes like you have with Java. That was another thing that, that came with ES6. So it seems like JavaScript evolved at that point into a, uh, a language that was more clearly able to be on these two, se- whichever side of the line you want to write your code in. If you want to write object-oriented programming, if you're more familiar with Java, you can do that. If you want to write more functional programming, you can do that too, and it'll look closer to uh, language like you know whatever that you're that you're more familiar with writing functional programming in. Um, so anyway, it's a little bit of a of a digression. The other thing I was um, thinking about was it's it's weird to think about that time when you when you're debugging your JavaScript. You know, the the first time you went from yeah, I'm writing JavaScript. I'm shipping it to a browser. I open my dev tools and there it is. That's what it looks like. That's the code that I wrote. It looks, uh, there's a one-to-one match going from that to a place where, okay, here's the JavaScript that I wrote and I open the dev tools and it looks completely different. And now how do I, how do I debug this? And that's where like source maps come in, which is like a mapping from the source to the, the output. And there's all this, all this extra tooling kind of came along with that. Yeah. I think the, just as an aside, I think the book if we actually talked about this a long time ago, so is it Professor Frisbee's most adequate guide to functional programming? I don't know. I don't remember us talking about that. I never wrote. Uh, I never read years that book. ago. <laughs> uh, maybe it was me and somebody else, but it's a. It's like a funny. 
the cover of it is a, like a raccoon with a quill pen. That's funny. I've no, Did I've never, never read that book. Uh, anyways. Um, okay. Yeah. So we're in the transpiler phrase. And now the next section title is nobody writes JavaScript anymore. And I love this section because TypeScript is mentioned. So anyways, <laughs> the, it says like, if you write a Rails application, you write it in Ruby. If you write a Django application, you write it in Python. Phoenix, Elixir, Laravel, all in PHP. Um, and they say like Rails gets a lot of flack for doing magic using like metaprogramming. Uh, you know, you have all these like uh, gems and you write a couple of words and type enter and like generates a bunch of stuff for you. I'm thinking about active record and whatever um, that you get stuff out of the box and people have come to now be angry about that. Like I actually, I was at work the other day and someone mentioned Ruby on rails and a bunch of people said trash. And I was like, <laughs> why? It's great. I love Ruby on rails. <laughs> um, but they bring up this point of JavaScript now, be, par partly because of that transpiler is different. So JavaScript is standardized, big, heavy quotations on ECMA TC39. And, but if you're writing JavaScript in uh, or through the lens of a framework, like next, they, they call it Next.js, Remix, Felt, um, you know, probably to a lesser extent, some other ones, Quick or whatever. You're not coding in ECMAScript anymore, not as standardized. And some of the examples is like, you read JSX. And JSX has nothing to do with standard, <laughs> with standard mm -hmm. JavaScript or even HTML. It is this like, you know, sort of stepchild of XML like and some other and HTML and some other stuff. Another thing is that like ECMA TC39 has no type annotations. And then the, I love this line, undeterred, Microsoft did it anyway <laughs> <laughs> with TypeScript which it too compiles into JS through a build step with transpilation. And then Svelte has their own compiler that like misuses the JavaScript label syntax to do reactive statements. Um, there's a bunch of other things here that it's like, you are, you're way out of, you say you're a JavaScript developer. It's like, you're not like, are, I guess you are. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but, but like, because we made that first decision of we're okay with the fact that our source code is not going to be the same as our source delivery code, like what gets sent to a client. Is those are going to be fundamentally different? We once we became okay with that, um, we're okay with all of it. And then the, it's sort of funny because like the they call it out. Rails gets all this frack for, flack for metaprogramming um, because it's like oh you just type one word and like you get all this stuff you didn't even write it. JavaScript's the same deal. It's like it totally abuses the language. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. And all these frameworks that we like that are near and dear to our heart completely abuse the language. But to good effect, you know, like that's the thing is because we like, I don't want this to again sound bad. And that's the point of this article is this is, this is kind of delightful. It's like we have as a community somehow taken this language that for a lot of people was in the dumpster, you know, like they're, like people didn't, there was a, a movement years ago where people wanted to eliminate all JavaScript from websites. And because some folks did some incredible work with build to, like build steps like Webpack as much as people might hate it and Babel as much as people might – actually, I don't think anyone hates Babel, but um, mm. people might disagree with the proliferation of JavaScript. It's like we worked around it. 
And now you have this single language that's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And yes, we're kind of bastardizing it in some points, but it's like it's allowed us for such rapid development. And again, we cry about the rapid development too. But man, it's so much better than no development or like yeah. really slow development. Because if you had if you ever had to write JavaScript that worked in three different browsers or four different browsers, you really hated your life. Right. And now you don't you never had to think about that again. Like you just didn't you didn't have to like put in some uh like browser fallbacks and stuff like that for your methods. You just didn't. You didn't have to do any of that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I uh I remember when I get, getting into web development, um I remember hearing about that about how one of people's biggest headaches was writing JavaScript for multiple different, you know, for all these different uh, uh browser implementations and it was one of the things that I was like, I'm going to have to get used to this. I'm going to have to deal with it. And then I never even thought about it again because like we just use Babel all the time and Babel is like, oh, what do you want to, what do you want to transpile this for? All right, cool. I'll just do it for all these browsers. No, no, don't even worry about it. So I've never even had to think about it. And it's, uh, I think, think I take that for granted. Um, I think that, so I will say, I just, I like this person's tone in this article. I'd like that they are just going full on that like this is delightful like the fact that we have all of this freedom is delightful because you don't often hear that what you often hear is people who are just bemoaning the fact that there are all these different options and the like oh there's a new framework today and I have to learn this new thing and um I've bemoaned that myself you know I think I looking at remix you know remix is one of the frameworks they talk about I think a number of episodes ago I was like yeah I'm learning remix it's kind of annoying to have to learn this new like the way that they do it or whatever, you know, their idiomatic uh, ways that they do it. And uh, so, yeah. So like I myself have felt some of that, some of that annoyance, but Same. I think it's, yeah. And I think it's good to remember that it's like, if you don't get annoyed, if you, as we've said in the past, if you like approach it with an, with an air of curiosity or with, you know, start with curiosity, it can be, uh, you can kind of see the the forest for the trees and you can see that there has been so much, um, development and so much kind of innovation in this space because of the willingness to step out of step outside of what the official support is and, and try all these new things. So anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, yeah, I, I, I do. It just makes me feel, feel good to think about this as a delightful experience rather than what the internet typically does, which is like stamp down any sense of, uh, of positivity. What we um, also have done for many episodes as the the uh hype deflators, I think yep. is what we've called ourselves. Yeah, That's the hype right. deflators. So it's just this is like a little refreshing change of pace. Um now I don't know if they're saying it's delightful. What's that psychological condition when you fall in love with your captor? Yeah, this uh Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome. I don't know if this is Stockholm syndrome, JavaScript Stockholm syndrome. With like, <laughs> this is great. It's delightful that my job changes all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, or if it's, you know, I think an optimistic take is like we've we've watched uh, a lot of really smart people apply themselves to what I think a lot of people still today joke about is a toy language, which is JavaScript. Like, how many backend developers have you ever met? It's like, oh, JavaScript. It's like, it's fake, you know, or it's trash <laughs> or like it's a scripting language, but it's now like powering, you know, a huge chunk of the internet, largely because people have put in this effort to, to build tooling, to allow it to be bigger than itself and to allow the community to affect major change in what is a quote unquote standardized language. 
because we've we've said you know standards cool we're not going to abide by those standards very strictly we're going to allow for well-trodden paths outside of the existing one mm-hmm. to continue uh, and there's no like real governance there so I think that's pretty cool like we, the the community is building the things that it needs and yeah that is helpful yeah it's it reminds me of like cow paths there's like a I forget what uh, what college or some university that does they designed their um, their quad and they designed certain paths in it, but they left space for people to walk through the quad as they wanted to, and they saw what patterns people were walking, and then they put paths along those spaces. So it's it's sort of like I don't know it's kind of a similar idea where it's like you let people, uh, and I think that actually ECMAScript has maybe done some of that too because they've seen people okay people are using TypeScript. TypeScript is something that, despite how everybody feels about it, how you know how any individual feels about it. It is something that a lot of people are using, and I think that has made uh, ECMAScript take the idea of type annotations more seriously because we're seeing things like a type annotation proposal that would be, you know, based on I think comments that are get stripped out during the the build step, or not even the build step, just they're they're ignored. But um, yeah, I, I think that that this that sort of attitude allows for innovation in a way that you wouldn't see if it was just purely kind of top down based on a on an organization. Um, should we, uh, should we jump to the, the section on use server? Yeah. Jump in there, man. Yeah. So use server is like, now we're getting into the brand new, uh, next 13, four, I, well, I guess it came out with next 13 and it's actually not necessarily directly tied to next. It's, it's part, it's part of react server components, but the only major usage of react server components right now is in Next.js. So Next.js 13.4 said, yep, React server components are stable in this version. And so now, quote unquote, use server and quote unquote, use client. And I'm putting those in quotes because they go at the top of your JavaScript file in quotes, uh, similar to quote, use strict, which has been around for a long time, uh, which is like strict mode JavaScript. That is, I think, uh, ECMAScript you know, sanctioned way to write JavaScript. Anyway, use use server and use client are this, it's like a, a new paradigm, really. It's a new way of thinking about your components because now you can mix client components, uh, you know, components that are meant to be run in a browser and server components, uh, components that are only going to be run on the server. You can mix those throughout your app. And I think it remains to be seen how this is going to really play out because this is brand new. And I don't even, I don't think we've really seen um, like uh, state management libraries kind of, uh, I, I'm having a little bit of a hard time like thinking about how a state management library is going to deal with something like this. Um, but the, uh, the yeah, this, this author mentions that it's really being compared to PHP because that's kind of a lot of, uh, what the closest comparison is, and they say it's not clear to me whether these com- whether whether these comparisons are meant in a positive way. But I'll say from my perspective, it's a very good thing. So this person is um, clearly taking a stand that they like the way that these things are going, and and uh, yeah, it's 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 uh, similar to the rest of the articles. Very optimistic. Yeah, they mention um, that React Server components goes a different way and compiles into a stream of tagged JSON, and that is sort of like. What we're looking at with Rails and PHP, you know, your templates and stuff like that, getting rendered and streamed out and like picked back yeah. up. Um, and that's so, kind of the, that's that's the biggest difference here. Like you know, we talked about 
the server and the client have always been so um, kind of like separate in terms of you, you might you might server side render something you you might server side render kind of your entire app and then ship that to uh, as HTML to the client and the client hydrates it or whatever. Um, but it's never this like mixed. It's never this mix of of um, client side and, and server side throughout your app's structure. Um, and it's uh, it's this like stream of JSON that I think is allowing a lot of this to happen. Yeah, and they mentioned that how that's even allowed because that's not necessarily bound by TC39 is that these um, framework developers have a tight relationship, tight coupling with bundlers uh, in that they have said like, how do we enable this functionality? And then what features do you need to have in your bundlers and your transpilers so that we can then unlock this and that the adjacent possible becomes possible through cooperation, which is 100% operating outside of the TC39 process of like, well, we need this, so let's go get it put into the standards. It's a build first mentality. So we're going to build it. We're going to work with the people who are going to say, let's, we'll then figure out a way to get it browserable. Go ahead and do it. Uh, and that's, I think what they said is profound and dare I say delightful is, is the way that they mention it. Um, so I think that's, that is kind of like, it's cool. There's a, there's a standard and then there's a target, which is a browser. And there's a bunch of people in between that said like, we have this available to us and we have this whole like possibility of a middle layer where we can affect the change. And then they end up building something completely new and interesting. Uh, and then TC39 watches that happen or like the, you know, the, the um, standards committees will watch that happen. And people the like the community will then make proposals and say, Hey, this is working really well. Let's adopt it into the language and make it gospel and memorialize it. And I think that's, that seems like, a, like you said, that cow path, you ever see the, um, there's a meme of bad UX design. It's like this really cool looking pathway. And then there's just like a dirt path trod between it because people mm -hmm. didn't want to walk on it. You know, that's, that's real as humans will always pick the path that is either a easiest or B most interesting to them, uh, or C gets them where they need to go. Usually a combination of one, two or three, uh, instead of going the other way, which is like a heavy standardized compiled language that you can't really do a ton to, uh, you know, JavaScript goes the other way. Yep. Yep. And I do think it remains to be seen whether or not this is actually going to be a good idea long-term, you know, this mixing client and server components throughout your app uh, and streaming JSON and, and all this, like, who knows? I mean, it might end up that we're like, nope, we actually don't like this at all. And we're going to go with like a totally <laughs> different frame. We're going to go with Svelte now. Like the, the, the web is going to be built on Svelte. I don't think Svelte uh, is planning any support for this. Um, but, um, but actually, speaking of Svelte, that I think we talked about this last week. But Svelte is um, getting—you know—they they they're moving away from a build step. Speaking of build steps being good, Svelte is so Svelte is another um, another framework, and they are uh, removing TypeScript from their from their code base. They are going to a buildless uh, um, JavaScript, which you know they can do in they can do because they are um, uh, only running on the server. You know, it's 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 not code that's being shipped to the browser. They have a uh, particular use case that that works really well for. But anyway, I just thought that was kind of a kind of a funny um, tangent. So 
I don't know, in my mind, like, who knows, this may not work out the best, but like, that's okay, too. And it's it's just nice to see this optimistic article about how like this actually, you know, let's have some fun. Let's let's explore some stuff. Yeah. Did, did you um did you watch the Dan Abramov um, talk? The, the, no, the, I didn't. Uh, yeah. Did you? I did. It's it's uh it's fun. It's like a fun talk. It's uh it it's not quite as um groundbreaking I think as some of the previous talk that that he's given, but it is fun. He he basically like uh implements um a he implements a um like a lyrics page. It's like a it's like a uh album search for all these like nineties albums. The 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 talk itself is like has fun content. Um and it's it's also interesting because he implements it in like a uh, old uh, like a windows 95 browser and he gets 90 percent of the way there and then the very last thing you know he like he has to um i can't remember what what part doesn't he needs a modern browser for something but it's like the it it's it makes the point that um that this the all the new generation tooling is enabling something that is kind of going back to what the web was built on i think that was my takeaway anyway i'll have to watch that talk um but yeah, overall, I think this is a rare moment for Joe and I to say, yay, JavaScript uh, <laughs> development, iteration, uh, blah, blah, blah. But still no pre-ex signals. Um, <laughs> <laughs> still no to that. Uh, but everything else, cool. Uh, anything else you wanted to cover in this article? Nope. I think that's it. We can All jump right. into... Our next section, which I hope you're learning something, Evan, because what are you learning? You learn anything? Nope. What are you learning? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, some, yeah, this some is... weeks it's hard. Some weeks it's hard to keep keep up with this charade that we have going that we're always that, learning. We're oh, we're always learning something. Always learning. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay. I am this. I don't know if this counts, but it getting, all counts. It thank all you. counts. Evan. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> give yourself a break. I'm going to give you two things. One technical, one non-technical. The technical is that I'm actually learning GitHub Copilot. And what I mean by that is I, I never used GitHub Copilot really. Um, and now I've got my new MacBook Pro. So I'm kind of like resetting up a laptop for the first time personally in a while and like challenging all the things that I have done before. Like I didn't want to just carbon copy the, the, my previous setup. I wanted to say, what do I actually need? What do I actually use? What do I actually want? And Copilot is part of that. So like I, you know, signed up for the old account and uh, doing some things in it. And uh, it, it's nice. I, I really do. I think Copilot is a really polished product, especially having used some competitors like that I can't mention because they are sold by the company I work for. Uh, I will say Copilot is great. So that's been fun. And also just setting up a laptop. Uh, if you have any suggestions, let me know. I'm happy to take them. And the non-technical side is uh, more powerlifting stuff. I'm just like doing tons of research about optimizing, like building, writing my own programming basically, and um, sort of how to optimize that and reading about these old like Eastern Bloc countries and how they structured their training uh, in like the 60s and 70s, uh, all via a guy named Matt Winning. 
who has pulled a lot of that research out of the actual coaches from those times with, he did a lot of spoken interviews with them through translators uh, because they had some of the most successful athletes of all time and just trying to figure out like how that happened uh, just so I can learn more because I get super nerdy about this stuff. So that's the other side and, and sort of trying to figure out programming, uh, like what's like what exercises do sets and reps to, to kind of clarify that uh, for the most effective strength gains. So that's the other side. And I've gone through this process many times, but this is all just sort of like a new line of research, which is these sort of Eastern Bloc coaches. Um, that's that's cool. it. Yeah, yeah. Joe, what are you learning? Uh, I am learning. Well, before I get into what I'm, what I'm learning, I always think that's like, um, I don't know, I, uh, I've i seen this with you before. I think this is sort of like a mark of somebody who enjoys learning for learn and like always wants to keep going deeper. It's like, you don't just like, I don't know, because some people, somebody might think like, well, why are you like, why are you learning that, uh, that stuff about power? Love? Don't, don't you, have you learned enough? Like, it sounds like you're like, you know, a fair amount and whatever, but like, that's the thing about when you get interested in something, you just want to keep finding new sources of material to learn yeah. more. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, I am learning. So I, uh, instead of, I am learning, I'm going to do a, I learned. So Today I learned because I was listening to this podcast today, listening to an episode of Freakonomics on swearing, uh, and it's as really good episode. It's got uh -oh. John, Mc yeah, it's got John McWhorter on it, who is uh, he's a linguist, and um, I've I think I read one of his books, and I watched like a series. He's a great, uh, he has a great series on kind of the evolution of of like modern languages, and um, anyway, it, I recommend that. But this episode was on swearing. He has written a book on swearing. And the thing that I learned that made me laugh out loud while I was walking my dog is that <laughs> the there are like these words that used to be considered really profane and like you just could not say them in like Victorian times. <laughs> and that one of those words is trousers. The word trousers. Oh, sorry. I should bleep that. Trousers, uh, was considered like one of the worst words. It's basically the F word of <laughs> the Victorian times. Victorian times and they instead of using that because you'd have to talk about pants right you would have to be like oh my like pants got dirty or whatever so instead of saying trousers they would call them etc <laughs> or expressibles I, I just that made me laugh that is bizarre yep uh also the word belly back in the 20s back in like you know 20s 1920s the word belly was considered just completely taboo and off limits anyway uh I thought that was a funny thing to, uh, to learn. Well, that's hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Trousers, trousers, trousers. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to bleep all those. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Well, yeah, that's it. That's it. I think we can, we can get into our good news cruise. For any new listeners, we, uh, we like to end the show with a segment we call sail away on the good news cruise. I forget the oh, yes. beetle. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the tweet tweet on that one. Yeah, you can't lose that one. Rowan <laughs> will never let you live it down. Let's uh, see. I What's... went first in learning. So, what That's is right. your good news? That's right. My good news is I I learned that there is a show, a new show on um, Peacock. I haven't actually watched it, but it sounds really good. It's uh, it's a, a new show called. Rain Wilson and the Geography of Bliss. So Rain Wilson is the guy who played Dwight Schrute 
on the office and he has a, a new travel show where he goes around and um, it's it, reading right from the description here. He traverses the globe searching for the secrets to the happiest societies on earth. So um, just sounds like uh, it put me in a good mood hearing that. And like, uh, I want to go watch the show. I haven't watched Have it you yet. watched Reluctant Traveler on Apple TV? Mm, no. Which who who's the who's the host of that? Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, Gene Levy. Oh, nice. No, I haven't watched that. Similar vibe, I imagine. So when I saw the trailer for the Rain Wilson show, I thought um, this is sort of the same, you know, where Gene Levy's like, I'm not a traveler. I like my sitting in my house by myself. I am not into fun. <laughs> but he goes to these places and kind of gets brought out of his comfort zone and learns a lot along the way. And it's nice. definitely super sanitized and like whatever. But I don't care. It's delightful. And Gene Levy is so funny to me. Uh, yeah. He's also one of the best dressed men I've ever seen, I think, in a way that's not ostentatious. Mm, mm -hmm. So that's kind of interesting. As I get older, I care about that a little bit more. Uh, not a ton, but I do think about it because like, I see peers now. I'm in, my, I'm in mid 30s, so I see my peers and some people still dress like they're in their early 20s, which is fine. I don't, I don't give a crap what you do. But then I see guys that are like really put together and I go, wow. You know that looks that's cool. So I feel like I want to do that. I just don't know how. <laughs> so like, seeing someone like Gene Levy, uh, but anyways, I want to watch the Rain Wilson show because I do. Rain Wilson's a very interesting guy. Yeah, he is very interesting. The um the the show that you're talking about reminds me of another show. Um, and I'm trying to look at the oh, it's called An Idiot Abroad. Have you do you, do you, did you hear ever hear about the show? It's so yeah, I never watched it though. It's yeah, it, it was it's kind of weird. I don't know. It was kind of funny. It's um this guy named Carl Pilkington who was on Ricky Gervais's original podcast. I think I think even before he had uh The Office, Ricky Gervais had a podcast. No, maybe it was after that. He had a podcast on BBC, and uh, he was co-host with um, another guy who went on to be an actor. But uh, this guy Carl Pilkington, same idea. He like basically Ricky Gervais sends Carl Pilkington to all these like far flung places and and. He's very un he's very uncomfortable throughout the whole trip. That's but same idea. He just wants to stay home. Yeah, yeah. Um, so right. that's my good news. What uh, what's your good news? Yeah, a bit unorthodox because this isn't like breaking good news. But you know, I talk all about powerlifting and stuff, so I wanted to highlight uh, some sort of recent news, but really cool stuff. There's there's an athlete named um, Tamara Walcott. And Tamara Walcott, she was actually on Ellen's show a little while back. So, you know, I'm not breaking new ground here, but Tamara Walcott, um, she's a woman who, you know, she, she had a food addiction essentially and reached 450 pounds and then decided, uh, she has two kids, you know, she decided that she's going to make a change. So she walked into a gym and fell in love. Five years later, you know, she, she lost a hundred pounds and Tamara Walcott broke two world records in a powerlifting competition, one for a cumulative total at 1,620 pounds. And then she also broke the woman's deadlift record at 639 pounds. And Tamara Walcott, the, the cool thing about her is, you know, she works full time, has two kids um, and will go, she's, she's working up from like 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. Wow. But she's still putting in this effort. And, and as someone who's like, I'm not at that level, I don't break world records. But to know what it's like when you're tired and you go into a gym and you have to do something terrible like you know deadlift mm -hmm. like as heavy as you've ever deadlifted, the the incredible perseverance of this person 
uh, it's really exciting to me. And then what's awesome, you know, so Tamara still competes in the super heavyweight division, uh, you know, still 350 pounds. So it's still a, a certain body type. And what's really cool is that in 2022, Ulta Beauty added um, Tamara as one of their, like a, a person within their book of folks that they highlight in their advertising uh, huh. as as a model for Ulta Beauty. So Tamara Walcott became a model for for them, uh, mo- you know, modeling body positivity and, and strength uh, as something that's also beautiful. So I think that is really, really cool. Tamara's continuing to break records. 2022 was her last competition uh, with a double record-breaking competition. And she's going to continue to lift and continue to go. And to do that in five years is unbelievable. Um, she's also now part of Project Rock, which is like a um, a whole black, I think it's a clothing, uh, 501c3 clothing thing started by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And mm-hmm. she's like holding fundraisers. And she's using this sort of fame that she got because she's one of the few sort of famous powerlifters at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's using that to good effect. And it's the whole thing is just so cool. If you haven't, even if you don't care about powerlifting, go watch Tamara Walcott deadlift because it's like, if you ever want to see somebody tackle every demon they've ever had in their life <laughs> in, in one single 15 second interval, that's it. Her eyes explode. Like everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm it's looking just, at some it's pictures unbelievable. Here. <laughs> um, so, you know, she was, she was 450 pounds. She's 275 pounds now and weight loss isn't the only goal. So I don't want that to be the takeaway here. I just mean, she's getting to the place that she wants to be through, through committing herself to sport. And she's done a lot of great along the way. So that's it. I just think that's good to highlight. That's awesome. Uh, it's, and that is really hard to, hard to believe that she only started lifting in 2018. Like that is, uh, come on, right? Yeah. Come on. Just to see somebody go that far that quickly is uh, inspiring. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my good news. All right. That's great. Um, Do you want to take us out? Yes. Thank you for making it this far, all two of you. Uh, It's great to see you again at the end of the episode. Um, If you want to get involved, which we would love, we definitely, we care a lot about that and we respond to the folks that do get involved. So we have a couple options there. You go to runtimerundown.com slash suggestions. You can leave a little suggestion in the box. That goes right to us. And we have done episodes covering some of those Dropbox suggestions or you know mailbox suggestions. You can also go to each episode and runtimerundown.com. You can comment on it at the bottom. We get involved in those. Uh, we, we love to see that. Um, if you are you know in iTunes, if you're in Spotify, if you're in whatever, your podcatcher of choice, if you could leave us a review, that'd be great. Or even just tell a friend. You know, If you, if you know somebody who might be interested in this, uh, podcast, let them know. Uh, we'll, we're, we'll never monetize this thing, but we do want to get a broader audience because it makes us feel good to talk to more people and to get more engagement. Uh, please do so. And yeah, again, suggest some stuff, get involved. We, we talk back. So please, um, yeah, please like reach out to us and give us five stars. That'd be great. (laughs) Joe, anything you want to add? No, that was great. I don't have anything I want to add to that uh, other than I hope that you, dear listener, have a great week and we will see you back here next week. See you next week.